time. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we pray, Lord God, you'll pull down those strong reasonings against the knowledge of God, that you will exalt your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you give me the words to speak, Lord God, and the grace to speak them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit might move in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. I like Simon's little story about fishing. Um, most men here have had various uh, results in fishing in the past. I haven't had terribly great results, but I do remember one time uh, Dawn and I, uh, before we had children, can't remember what that was actually like before children, but uh, before we had children, we went down the south coast of New South Wales and hired a unit and I went out and I said to Dawn, I'm going fishing and I'm going to bring back a fish for dinner. So off I went, tackle in hand, rod, and as I went I thought, oh gee, I hope I catch a fish. You know, and I had the fear of Dawn in my heart. <laughs> Dawn might be small but she's mighty strong. And so off I went fishing and cast a line in and fished and it was about midday and about four or five hours later the sun's about to start going down. There's still nothing. What am I going to do? Last cast, out it goes. Suddenly, bang, on the rod. The, the rod bends over double. The line gets taut and I'm winding it in with all my strength. And as it gets closer and closer to the shore, I see a glimmer of silver as it flashes towards the surface and suddenly I pull it out and there it is. Monstrous great fish, bigger than Simon's son's fish, <laughs> bigger than a shark. And, I'm, and I've got a dilemma. I'm four metres above... In the, on the rocks four metres above the water. How am I going to get this great gigantic fish on shore? So I thought, well, I'll just give it a good yank. So whack! And of course, you know the story. Snap. Down go the shoulders. Oh no. So I walk home grudgingly back to Dawn and said, Dawn, I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> the bad news is we're not having fish for dinner. The good news is I've got pizza with anchovies. So you will actually get some fish. Often we're afraid of not catching fish. And the Lord Jesus Christ here is, he's actually doing some fishing uh, for his apostle Peter. And we're going to look this morning at uh, four points. One, Peter's particular call. And we'll see that Christ went to his synagogue, he went to his home, he healed his mother-in-law and got into his boat. And you can see there that Christ had a particular mission a particular purpose to reach Peter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what has brought you here today, God has brought you by his grace to sit under the sound of his word and the call is for you to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Peter was, so uh, there was a particular call on Peter and then a second point, it was a universe, Peter had a universal problem. He laboured all night and he caught absolutely not one thing. And each one of us can identify with that in life. And then we have thirdly, the power of his call. He launched out into the deep. Uh, he was told to launch out into the deep and let down his nets for a great draught of fish, a great catch. And then fourthly, we have, it's a costly call. Peter fell at his knees and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then the Lord said, and then it says, they forsook all and followed him. And that's the cost of following Christ. So firstly, our first point here is his particular call. Uh, a certain fish called Simon Peter. 
And we notice in verse 38, it says that Jesus, he arose out of the synagogue and entered Simon's house. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Simon was a religious man. He was a churchgoer, if you like, or a synagogue goer of those days. And Christ had done with his preaching and chose Peter's home uh, to come home and, and, you know, the rest of the story. So he was a, he was a, religious, a religious man. There was uh, some time ago, a fellow called me up and we were selling franchises in our business and this man called me. And he said, hello, my name's Tom and I'm interested in a business. And he said, listen, just by the way, I've heard that you were a minister of sorts. And I said, yeah, that's right, Tim, Tom. It's not Tim, Tom. Tom. Any Toms here this morning? Yes, I think there are. Uh, anyway, but uh, so Tom said to me, Phil, I believe in Christianity, but I do not believe in Christ. I believe in Christianity, but I do not believe in Christ. Sounds astounding, but it's common. It's common that people have religion just enough to make them miserable, but they don't have Christ. They have formality. They have outward practice. They may come to church regularly and hear many, many sermons, but they don't have Christ. Have you got Jesus Christ? Or you've just got nothing. And I said to him, Tom, if you don't have Christ, you have Nothing, absolutely nothing. So secondly, he was a religious man in verse uh, 38. And then secondly, he was a family man. It says there that he, Christ, arose out of the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her immediately. And she rose and ministered unto them. So we see here that um, we see here that that Peter was a family man, and this uh, is really, in essence, morality. The fact that he has a wife, the fact that he has brought his mother-in-law into his household to take care of her, it's a demonstration of his morality. But I'm here to tell you this morning that morality cannot save you. A very moral man called the rich young man in Scripture came to Jesus Christ saying, Lord, what one thing do I do that I might gain eternal life? In other words, really, I've done it all, and I'm supposing that he really wanted Christ to say, well, of course you don't need anything else. You're religious, and you keep the commandments. Enter into the kingdom of God. You're a prime Christian of the year award candidate. (laughs) And then it says, and he said he kept the different laws, some of them, and Jesus said to him, there's one thing you need to do. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says, the scripture says, that man went away very sad for he had much riches. Morality can't save you. And uh, in, in verse 39, his, uh, he, the Lord says he healed his mother-in-law. So he was not only a religious man and a moral man, he was also a very brave and courageous man living with his mother-in-law. Now, are there many mother-in-laws here this morning? (laughs) Hope not. Now, they're wonderful people, particularly mine. She's astounding. But he was a brave man. But bravery, courage will not save you. It will not save you. In Romans uh, chapter 2 and 3, speaking of the wrath of God, it says that when men, ungodly men, stand before God, it says this, their mouth will be stopped. 
Their mouth will be plugged and every knee will be made to bow before him who sits upon the throne, Jesus Christ, our Lord. El Elohim, the Most High God. And no man will stand before him uh, in pride and arrogance, but will be brought to his needs uh, in his very presence. And then uh, fourthly, we find that he was a very generous man. In chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, And he entered one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people out of Simon's ship. So here Peter had let the tools of his trade go. Jesus is out in his ship uh, doing his work, uh, and Peter was a generous man. And no matter how generous you may be, no matter how charitable you may be, you might climb the ladder of, of uh, social work and, and, and uh, reaching society and reaching the poor. And it says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, if you have not love, you have nothing. If you sell all your goods and give to the poor, and yea, even if you give your body to be burned and have not the love of God, you have absolutely nothing. Not one thing. Remember it says to the other rich man who tore down his barns to build bigger ones. He thought he had a lot, but he wanted, he wanted more, more and more. And remember the words of God to him, you fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. And then who shall have these things that you have hoarded, that you have coveted, that you had gathered together? So no, um, bravery can't save you, morality can't save you, Religion can't save you. And then finally, he was, Peter, in verse 10, he was an industrious man. He was a hard-working man. We read in verse 10 that, and so it was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, fear not, from henceforth you shall catch men. So he was in partnership. He was in uh, fishingisus.com, and uh, that business wasn't going too well. The fish weren't biting. Um, but know this, that no, matter, no manner of hard work can get you into heaven. I know many people believe that you know, there is this balance that God will somehow, uh, after you die, somehow weigh up your good works and bad works and take into consideration all the good works and let you into heaven. Well, the news of the gospel is there is no way to heaven via your works. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of works. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Now you can't work your way into God's favour. You can't earn merit uh, before God. You can't do anything charitably or anything sacrificially to gain his merit. He is only satisfied one way and one way only and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness is the only righteousness that God the Father will accept. When Christ died in Isaiah 53, it says that the Father looked upon the Son and was satisfied. He was satisfied. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words, as he gave up his spirit, for no man could take it, as he gave up the spirit, he said those, those uh, wonderful words, it is finished. The work of redemption has been completed. All that's necessary to bring you out of the depths of sin and into Christ has been fulfilled. All the condemnation lifted and set upon his son. 
wounded and bruised for our iniquities, chastened for our peace, and by his stripes we are healed. This is the wonderful work of redemption. You cannot add to it, you cannot take from it. It's a gracious act. It's an act between God the Father and God the Son, and we had nothing to do with it as he reconciled us through that wonderful work on his cross. So there's a particular call on Peter, and you can see him going to his synagogue, his home, healing his mother-in-law, then choosing his boat amongst all the boats. Can you recognise, as you think back on your, your life, how God touched you, touch points in your life, and he, uh, he made contact with you, perhaps not saving you at the time, um, but doing that great work. When I was a teenager, um, I was living in Sydney uh, in year, year six, I think, and a friend of mine asked me to go to a place called the Teen Ranch. Now, the Teen Ranch was a horse riding place and I had no interest in horses whatsoever, but I believe some young ladies were going there, fillies of a different type. So I was quite keen to go. Anyway, the one thing I remember from that camp, and it was a Christian camp, and I don't remember anything else that the preacher preached, but I do remember this. He said a Christian is someone for whom Christ died. Now, I went home from that meeting unsaved. But I knew a Christian was someone for whom he died. It was some eight years later that I came to know the truth of that truth, that he had died for me, that he'd paid the penalty that I owed, and he'd satisfied God's wrath and, my, and his broken law and brought me to himself uh, through the blood of Christ. Touch points where God has touched us. So firstly, it's a particular call, and secondly, it's a universal problem. In verse 5 it says, He had laboured all night and caught nothing. He laboured all night and caught nothing. Is that you? Is that you in your life? Have you been to uh, many churches and heard many sermons and yet you're not saved? You have not life? Notice that uh, Solomon says, um, and Solomon's fishing in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now Ecclesiastes means the preacher. Ecclesia Ecclesia means the called out ones, the church. Ecclesiastes means the proclaimer, the, 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 uh, the preacher. And Ecclesiastes is a message. It's a message of the gospel from a different perspective. Solomon trying everything known to man to find happiness and finding nothing. Summed up in that wonderful verse in, in chapter 2 and verse 11 where it says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and all the labour that I had laboured to do and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And note that, note that twin-edged sword. Not only is it vanity, is it empty, has, there's nothing in it, but it's vexing, it's a torment. The, that, uh, if you like, that void in your heart, God has set eternity in our hearts and nothing but Christ can fill that hole. We try and fill it with drugs. We try and fill it with, with uh, all sorts of pleasures and lusts. We try and fill it with things. But nothing fills that empty hole but Jesus Christ. You've tried all your life perhaps to fill it. It does not work. And Solomon cries out these words. All was vanity. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity and there was no profit in anything under the sun, S-U-N. And of course, there's all profit 
under the sun, S-O-N. And uh, a wonderful perspective of the gospel from Ecclesiastes. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says there, Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. It's universal. Universal condemnation. Universal depravity. And by depravity, I mean we do not have the means to choose Christ. Unless Christ works in our heart by his spirit, we cannot choose him, we will not choose him, unless God does that work first. It's God who flicks that switch. We must respond in repentance and faith, yes, by his grace, but it's all of grace, nothing to do with us, that he saves us and brings to know himself. All are under the condemnation, all are under the shame, all are under the guilt of his broken law, and all will suffer his righteous indignation and wrath, Paul says. Our God is a consuming fire. And we need to fear him. We love him. We fear him. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And there's three negatives here, just in case you missed it the first two times. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of you, not one of us has met God's holy standards. We've all fallen short. We've all become unprofitable. We've all sinned in the sight of God. And Isaiah would cry out, though your sins be double dyed with crimson. The Hebrews repeats the word to, to emphasise a, a double, if you like. He's fairer, fairer than the sons of men in Psalm 100 and verse 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, your sins, though they be double dyed with crimson, now, I'm terrible with new shirts. For some reason, every time I get a new shirt, I have dinner and I end up with half of it on my shirt. And I'm colourblind, so I don't know what beetroot looks like, nor um, crimson. I've no idea what crimson looks like. I looked at a rainbow the other day and realised for the first time I only see two vague colours, sort of a murky yellow and a murky blue. But it says here, your sins are double dyed with crimson. That stain does not get out. Sounds like an ad. <laughs> it does not come out but by anything but, the song we sing, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can wash that sin away. To remove that double dyed sin, double dyed in the sense that you died in Adam. When Adam sinned, you died. He represented us in a perfect paradise. God placed him there, gave him one commandment. You can eat of everything, but do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And you know the story. It wasn't the, uh, wasn't the apple on the tree, but the pear on the ground that was the trouble. And they took the fruit, they ate it, and sin and all its combination fell upon men. And from that time, every man born was born with a nature contrary to God, at enmity with God, and in need of redemption, in need of salvation. Is that you? Do you need saving this morning? He had laboured all night and he caught nothing. And the third point is it's a powerful call. It's a particular call. It's a universal problem and it's a powerful call. Here's the word. And this is very striking. Here's the word. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a draft. Doesn't sound like a gospel message, but it is indeed. 
is a message for every single one of us here this morning. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets at my command and you shall receive a great catch, a great draft of fish. This is God's call to us today, to step out in faith and trust God, to step for the, perhaps for the first time into the gospel, into the grace of God by trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. Or for you here who are Christians, it might be making a step towards him. Perhaps you've been stepping away from him for some time. Today is a day that you should step towards him, that you should honour him with obedience, with surrender and with sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise upon your lips, perhaps. So it is a powerful call. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. So you note this, in this gospel message, Romans 10 and verse 17 says this. It says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's the method. That's why we should be under the word at all times, as often as we can. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Now in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, dealing with Abraham, we have Abraham's testimony. It says there that now the Lord had said to Abraham, get thee out of your country and from thy kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. Then Hebrews explains this and says in Hebrews 11 and verse 8, my faith, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Now, you can imagine that very awkward conversation with Sarah that day. Darling, um, could you pack your bags and don't forget the tent? Um, and she said, well, Abraham, where are we going? Look, I don't know where we're going, but we're going. But, 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 but where, are we, where are we going? <laughs> I don't know. But we're going. God said we're going. So faith was born uh, from hearing God's word, just as faith was born from hearing this launch out into the deep and let down your nets. It's his command, his command. And uh, it says in, uh, and sorry, and in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 again, it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you come to God in prayer, you must believe that he exists as God. He has all the power at hand. If you're needing money, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has enough to pay any debt. He has enough to meet any need. He shall, in the New Testament, in Philippians, he shall supply all of your needs from his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. He has all the wealth. He has all the power. He spoke in Genesis 1 and all the universe came into, into being in a moment. He made the stars also. And you think God can't answer your prayer. God can't do this. God can't do that. Of course he can. He's God. He speaks and it happens. Great encouragement for us to trust him. Great encouragement for you to trust his commandment today. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 it says, But now he continues to command all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. He has given assurance unto all in, he has given assurance unto all in that he raised him from the dead. This is God's command. And again in 1 John 
chapter 3 and verse 23. And this is his commandment, that you believe on his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. This is the word of God. This is the word we must obey. And in Romans 10 and verse 11, it says, For scripture says, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? Had you called upon Jesus Christ to save you? What's holding you back? Remember the words of Peter, We've laboured all night, Lord, and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your command, we'll let down the nets. We'll launch the boat, let down the nets, bring in the catch. Does that apply to you today? So we find it was a powerful call. It was a particular call. It's a universal problem. It's a powerful call. Let down your nets for a draft. And then finally, it's a very, very costly call. But yet when you come to Christ, you must come to him as Peter did, with absolutely nothing in your hand. That's where God wants us. He wants every single one of us bowed before the feet of our sovereign God. He wants to reign in our hearts as number one. The problem is other things reign there in my life, in your life. Other lusts reign there. They rule us when Christ should rule. We must abdicate. We must put them out. We must enthrone Christ as number one in our life. So Peter comes at, uh, in verse 8, Simon Peter, when he saw the fish, remember this is just the fish, when he saw God organise these fish into his nets, he falls down at his feet and he says this, he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. So God's sovereign power in working these fish into the nets and providing for him when he could not provide for himself was that which brought Peter to a place of salvation. What does it take to bring you to salvation? Recently, my uncle Jim um, he had an abscess on his tooth. Not a bad thing. You go to the dentist. He had an abscess on his tooth and got infected. And his wife, um, not thinking it was that serious, and probably thinking it was just man flu or something like that, which is quite serious, but uh, not thinking it was that bad. Kept, it didn't, take, didn't call the doctor, and it, the infection grew worse and worse and worse, Well, finally he was really struggling to breathe, and she had to call for the ambulance. And so the ambulance came, took him to the hospital. Within two days, he was in a coma. He was in a coma for four or five days. During that time, they washed out his throat and his mouth to try and clear the infection, and uh, he was on a respirator. He was in the ICU in, in Hobart. And Dawn and I went in to visit him. And uh, some two weeks after he originally went in there. And as you do in hospital, uh, I had this vision in my mind that we would actually walk into the hospital room and Jim would be sitting up reading a book or, you know, he, he's under medication, but he would be okay. Well, I walked into the room and Jim looked like death. He looked so, so dead. He was alive. His face was puffed up. He had pipes everywhere. And he was conscious and he could just whisper because they'd been doing so much work on his mouth. And he, as we approached, he came and he took Dawn's hand, took my hand, and he gripped us with an iron grip. Fingers were <laughs> swelling. And, and uh, thanks, Jim. 
and uh, he gripped like, like no one has gripped my hand. And, uh, and then he, he motioned to me, he couldn't speak well, but he motioned to me and gave the sign of the cross. And I said, Jim, do you want me to tell you about the Lord? And he motioned, and he motioned with his hand. And so I told him, I quoted to him Psalm 23 as best I could. And as I quoted Psalm 23 and those words, though I walk through, yes, I'll quote it correctly, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Jim wept and I wept. And then I finished and it was all by surprise and Jim waved with his hands, more, tell me more. So I gave him a testimony and I was about to launch into another sermon and three big orderlies came and took him out for some procedure. Weeks later we saw Jim and it was like nothing had happened. That moment was lost. Perhaps out of fear he was searching for the moment but he didn't find Christ. What a sad thing. Your opportunity today is to find Christ. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You know Christ or not. It's a costly call. It's a costly call. But you must come to him with empty hands, come at his knees. But we notice, notice in verse um, 11 it says, And when they had brought their ship, <coughs> when they had brought their ship to the land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. In the Greek, this word all means absolutely all. In one of the other accounts, I think in Luke or John, it says that the sons of Zebedee, James and John, left their father with his servants and the nets. So they left the family business. They dropped everything and followed Christ. This is the cost of the gospel. Let no one else tell you any different. Christ wants absolutely everything. He wants your marriage, he wants your children, he wants your wallet, he wants everything that is yours to be his. He wants to be king, he wants to be Lord. And he will be Lord. Lord of lords, king of kings. He wants absolutely everything. And there's a wonderful call in closing in Isaiah 55. And it says this, it begins with the word ho. And I don't know whether the, the Catholics got this for... Uh, St. Nicholas, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. But it begins with the word ho, and what ho means in Hebrew is an extended o. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lament, it's a cry, it's a herald, it's all those things. There's tears here, there's blood there in these words. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters that ye have, uh, and he that has no money, come. Yea, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy milk and wine without money and without price. So we come empty-handed. We can't earn his merit. We can't buy his merit. We come to receive his gift by faith, by grace, through faith. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that today? Let me pray before we um, sing again. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we are humble as we read your precious word. Lord, how powerful the commandment, how powerful is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray for everyone bowed before you, that you might revive us again. 
you might draw those who know you're not into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that this day might be that great day, the day of their acceptance, the day that they enter glory, the day that all heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. And for us, Lord, who know you, we pray that you'd help us to dedicate our lives afresh with a year behind us and a year ahead of us. May we launch out into the deep and let down our nets. Oh God, give us grace, give us strength, give us help. We ask this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.